0: What's Scooby-Doo? We're coming after you. We're gonna solve that mystery. (laughs) 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 Scooby-Doo, Charlie's back back to you. What's (laughs) (laughs) Scooby-Doo?
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Collateral Creatives. Today we're going to be talking about, I don't know if you could guess, uh, the Smurfs. No, we're talking about Scooby-Doo today. (laughs) Uh, me and Cheyenne are both big fans of Scooby-Doo I think Cheyenne is more of a fan than I am though
2: maybe I think
1: you've been watching it more consistently and longer than me though
2: probably I don't know
1: cause like I stopped watching the show uh, around like I'm gonna say like 15 years old From, from then on it was only if I was going to my grandma's house and Boomerang just happened to be on I would go back and watch some of the old episodes
2: yeah I mean, first off, I had a pet dog that we named Scooby.
1: Okay, so you were much more interested. <laughs> which, like, I don't know. Based, I've seen that dog. He looks more like Scrappy.
2: I don't... think he did. I, I thought mean, he, he was a boxer. More... I mean... Which, Scooby is a Great Dane, so there's first off an inconsistency there, fake fan. But, um, <laughs> Uh... Yeah there's like a few other things like I try to always watch like the Christmas special Mm -hmm. um, every year around Christmas just because that's the thing that I grew up doing
0: Mm
2: -hmm. it's just random but (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think Scooby-Doo has just kind of been like one of those things that like has always just been sort of comforting for me as like Mm -hmm. a kids show growing up and then it's something to go back to
1: sure um. So anyway, with us talking about Scooby-Doo, uh, real quick, just want to set out the outline for those who are joining us. Maybe you haven't watched an episode of Collateral Creatives yet, which if you haven't, welcome to the show. You should go back and watch the rest of the episodes that we've done because they're both really good. And they're We're not
2: be... biased at all.
1: We're not biased in <laughs> the slightest bit. Our opinions are completely our own and uh, we don't sit up at night thinking we're correct all the time. <laughs> we... <sighs> I guess we don't. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> our objectives here. I don't. <laughs> uh, Our objectives here. We're going to be discussing the show, going through its history, going through where it's been, where it is now. We're going to go into the people that went into making it, giving credit to those who actually brought this whole franchise to life. We're going to discuss the meanings that could be found within the show. We're going to compare those meanings to the Christian meanings that we're trying to convey within this these uh, episodes, and then give a couple final statements, and then we'll be all wrapped up. Yeah. First and foremost, the most important thing to identify with Scooby-Doo is how stupid long it's been around. I don't so think, long. I don't think people realize how long Scooby-Doo has yeah, actually you been You have
2: around. to say which Scooby-Doo you're talking about yeah, when you're talking about Scooby-Doo. You can't just
1: say, I'm watching Scooby-Doo. You have to be like, okay. Uh, Scooby-Doo in Mystery Incorporated. What's the new, Scooby-Doo? What, which one?
2: A pup named Scooby-Doo? <laughs>
1: exactly. So uh, just to give a quick little synopsis, and we're going to go through how much we've interacted with these series as well. I have a list of all of the Scooby-Doo shows that have ever been made. Yeah. So we're starting with Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? started in 1969 and went until 1970. It had 24 episodes, 25 episodes. Uh, 24 of those were one hour long. So that's a lot, first of all. Yeah. That's a long time ago. Second of all, that's about 50 years now. Over 50 years, a little bit. How much? I mean, I watched that show. Yeah, that's the the
2: one with the bats in the opening.
1: That was, yeah, yeah.
2: I'm gonna be identifying them by what's in the opening. Just (laughs) caution.
1: Mm -hmm. That's the one with the (laughs) classic animation. Yeah. I think that. I honestly, I think that one had my favorite rendition of uh, Shaggy and Scooby Doo.
2: Yeah, well, that's like the foundation of the entire franchise.
1: Yeah, but like a lot of the things in that that series aren't the best in my opinion, because like it's (laughs) unique and everything like that, but like. The characters aren't... Ver- and like, the performances that are given can be a little bit cheesy. Yeah. I think Scooby and Shaggy are the only ones that are, like, completely genuine in their characters.
2: I think it's kind of, in a way, comparable to how uh, the original series of Star Trek with, like, Spock and Kirk and stuff isn't necessarily the best Star Trek um, because it didn't like reach the full potential of what Star Trek is supposed to be. Yeah. But it lays the foundation of this is Star Trek. And it's one of the most iconic ones. And I think that's kind of what that series of Scooby Doo is for the Scooby Doo franchise.
1: Mm-hmm. And I feel like I should clarify I read that wrong. Uh, Scooby Doo, Where Are you? you? had 25 episodes. The series that came after it, the new Scooby-Doo movies, was 24 one-hour-long episodes.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think they ran that long, yeah. but, you know, it's hard to say.
1: Mm-hmm. This series ran from 1972 to 1973, um, so they were kind of just doing a couple year breaks, basically, and then just came right back out with more of the show. Um, this one I had, I don't know anything about, the Scooby-Doo show.
2: Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, doesn't sound super familiar.
1: No, but it has 40 episodes, which is almost the max that they've ever hit. Um, 1976 to 1978.
2: Yeah, I think the Christmas episode that I mentioned that I watch every year mm-hmm. might be from the 70s.
1: Oh, okay. Um, so then we got the next two shows, which have the exact same name, but are different shows. You got Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo and Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. <laughs> One with 16 episodes that ran from 1979 to 80. And one with 33 episodes with 99 segments from 1980 to 1982. No idea about these shows. I I know Scrappy do.
2: I think I've seen a few episodes, maybe. It's hard to say because Scrappy just appears in random places throughout the franchise. Yeah,
1: I think I just ignored him.
2: (laughs) Scrappy gets so much hate. I don't like him. (laughs) I don't understand why. He
1: just has, like, an annoying voice and an annoying personality.
2: Okay, I, yeah. I guess maybe that's a little valid. Plus, like,
1: I liked the idea of Scooby being barely literate as a dog. But then we have this perfectly well-spoken small puppy that walks on its hind legs. <laughs> like, it just didn't work in It my is brain.
2: a little counterintuitive.
1: Yeah, it kind of just broke a little bit of the, the way that we were seeing things for a little bit. So I just didn't like it that much. But Scooby is still good. So next up in 1983 and 1984, we got the new Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo show. So they just really loved the Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo thing on ABC. It's good
2: dynamic.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess. In the same way that Garfield and Nermal were like a great dynamic <laughs> with Garfield hating Nermal all the time. The amount of times that Garfield has shipped Nermal to Abu Dhabi is hilarious. <laughs> I really have no idea what the joke is there with Abu Dhabi. He just kept on sending him to Abu Dhabi. It was even a joke in the animated series of Garfield. I don't know. The next thing up, which was, I think, a massive stepping stone for Scooby-Doo, the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. That released in 1985 and had 13 episodes, funny enough. I think it was completely on purpose. Yeah. Basically, uh, it sets up a lot of story. Like it's it's for the first time starts up a plot line for Scooby Doo. So it has a actual background to it. And with the thirteen ghosts, there's basically thirteen ghosts that need to get trapped. And this is also wasn't it the show that Velma is just not there?
2: Um, maybe I don't know. That's one of the things that happens a lot is they'll get experimental with the cast that they include. Yeah. And you see that in a lot of the series where they don't include all of the people that you think they, like they don't include the entire gang.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so yeah, I don't think Velma shows up in that one. I never watched 13 Goats. I don't know if that's because it just wasn't on or what.
1: Well, it's kind of interesting because in Mystery Incorporated, I think she, when she goes, like when she joins the team again in that in that show, because she's there from the very beginning, they actually go back to the place where thirteen ghosts was, and
2: yeah, there is a series that like yeah. comes back to it.
1: And like she has to, and like they basically have to prove that, like Velma has to prove that the ghosts that they were after weren't real, because of course Velma is the one that doesn't. Yeah, believe in ghosts. Velma
2: acts as like. The anchor of reason. Yeah. Um, and so Scooby Doo kind of plays in that like gray area of things, maybe supernatural or maybe they aren't. Mm-hmm. For a lot of the different shows, and so some of the characters lean into that gray area. <laughs> Um, with whether or not they believe, like, yeah, this is a monster or, oh, no, this isn't a monster. Like, Shaggy and Scooby are almost always just scared. Yeah. Um, like, that's where they're at. Velma is, like I said, the anchor of reason. She never thinks that it's a supernatural cause. It's always going to be explained. And then characters like Fred and Daphne they could go either way like sometimes they're on the side of Velma and they're like yeah there's going to be an explanation and other times they're like no like maybe maybe we should just like accept that there's things that we can't explain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with 13 ghosts that's one of the series where it kind of goes more in the direction of oh there's things that we just can't explain yeah um, but like I said, I haven't watched through 13 ghosts, uh, so I can't like definitively say where it falls on the spectrum as far as Scooby-Doo series go.
1: Mm-hmm. We're getting closer to that range where we started to see a lot more plot elements pop up. So next in 1988 and 1991, we got a pup named Scooby-Doo, which
0: such a good series. Oh my gosh,
1: it's so good. That, that was the first time they called the place Coolsville. Um, that was just when the gang was all kids yeah I think that's my favorite Velma honestly like child <laughs> she's Velma so
2: cute cause like all
1: of a sudden all the things that make her like kind of annoying as a character for the fact that she <laughs> is like all about reason is now completely adorable and endearing cause she's a kid yeah
2: well and they also <clears throat> make it really easy for the audience that's presumably children mm-hmm. to follow along with the mystery which they break down at the end of the episode so they like give the kids who are watching a chance to solve the mystery along with the kid detectives. And the involvement of the audience is another thing that's really characteristic of a lot of the Scooby Doo shows is that it's like, we're gonna solve this mystery.
1: Yeah, we we got some work to do now.
2: Yeah. Uh, um, we're
1: coming after you. We're yeah. gonna solve that mystery.
2: So, it's not just a, like, passive type of detective show. It's a, oh, yeah, like, I'm supposed to be solving the mystery along with these people. And I think A Pup Named Scooby-Doo does that really well Mm -hmm. um, because (laughs) they really break that down. That might just be because it's really targeted at children, or it might just be because that's how they structure the show mm-hmm. um, also as a funny side note for whatever reason i thought that a pup named scooby-doo only existed at my grandma's house <laughs> because dear lord <laughs> it never came on at my house it only came on when i went to go visit my grandma so i got really excited whenever i went to go visit my grandma because a pup named Scooby-Doo would be on.
1: So your grandma lived in the alternate reality where Scooby-Doo characters
2: were kids. <laughs> yes. And it was amazing. There were still like the adult, like, normal... I don't... I guess they're more like teenagers. There were still the more grown-up ones. Yeah. Where they're older.
1: Same same teenager logic as Power Rangers.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so it was just like, yay, there's more to the lore. Whenever I went to my grandma's house and I don't know if it's just because she had another channel that we didn't have at my house or what. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just so funny because now like how stuff works with like you can access shows on like Netflix and stuff like you don't really run into that problem anymore.
1: The next show that came up after that is the one that everyone knows like really well. (laughs) At least
2: Uh, in our age group.
1: What's new Scooby-Doo? So good. 2002 to 2006 one of the longest running series in the Scooby-Doo franchise um, this one had 42 episodes with 3 total seasons so probably one of the better ones I would say the band who made that intro is still playing the intro <laughs> to this day in live shows
2: they influenced my taste in music
1: <laughs> yeah I think you mentioned that one time where you were telling me that you found the band that played the theme song and you were like jamming to their music and they were like wait a second <laughs>
2: Because I didn't realize that they also played the theme song. Mm And then I made that connection like years later um, that they played the theme song and that I liked their music. And that once I realized like that was the genre I liked, like I found other bands like through them. Mm -hmm. And it was just like oh that's so weird <laughs> and I don't know if it's just like I imprinted on that like specific sound as a kid mm-hmm. listening to the theme song so much or what it's it's really kind of funny
0: uh-huh.
2: really ironic
1: <laughs> uh, the one to follow that was a bit of a disappointment <laughs> uh, it was Shaggy and Scooby-Doo get a clue
2: yeah I never watched that one
1: it wasn't as popular uh, probably because it was just Shaggy and Scooby-Doo It ran for two years though and got twenty six episodes, so it did decent, but it wasn't. This was like the first time in like twenty years that they didn't go for like a third season. Mm -hmm. So then after that, uh, we got the one that it also lives in a little bit of infamy for being pretty good, Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated, running from twenty twelve to twenty thirteen. The one, the first one that got onto Cartoon Network. Yeah, Cartoon Network around that time was trying their best to kind of make their, their they were trying to form their content towards a teenage audience instead. So you had shows like uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars and Regular Show and Adventure Time that were kind of still focused towards kids, but mostly now towards teenagers. And Mystery Incorporated was one of those ones because people were actually capable of dying now. Oh no! <laughs> um, the monsters were becoming a little bit more real. Yeah. This wouldn't be the first time that we had had real real monsters in Scooby-Doo because, like, Zombie Island came out before that, and they had real monsters in a couple other episodes, especially in 13 Ghosts, where they were real ghosts. (laughs) But, yeah, Mystery Incorporated, I am not a huge fan of. Like, I'm just like I, I know that it's really good and I think it has a really good Velma and Shaggy personalities personally like the the, the best out of all of them except for with Velma uh, pup name Scooby Doo is better
2: but, <laughs> she's peak Velma for <laughs> you
1: but Mystery Incorporated it's just I just it feels like it gets too serious sometimes
2: I I respect it for what it does for the franchise because right. it isn't episodic it like there is an episodic quality to it where it does have kind of like that monster of the week thing going Mm. on but then it also has that like deeper there's something more uh like long-term mystery that takes the entire series to solve wasn't
1: this like a prequel too
2: yeah and that's what i was getting to is that they set it in coolsville so they're they're in one place um, and they kind of explored the relationships of the gang for a bit um, and why why they came together and why they go like solve mysteries and I I don't want to say like yes this is like the definitive answer for uh, like the definitive canon answer and any other answer is invalid Mm -hmm. but I like it as like one possible explanation of like how they ended up driving around solving mysteries Um, because we don't really get a ton of history on (laughs) this random group of teenagers (laughs) um, who are driving around running into like oil tycoons who are dressed up (laughs) like monsters and stuff yeah Um, And we don't understand, like, why are they always so calm when all of this scary stuff is happening? And the reason is, at least if you go off of this show, is because they dealt with real monsters Mm -hmm. and they've seen some crazy stuff and they know how to handle it. But because of everything that they go through in that show... They're not able to stay where they grew up. They have to go out. Yeah. And so I really respect it for like what it does for the series, like what it tries to do as like background information. Mm-hmm. I just, it is a little bit of a darker take on Scooby-Doo in some ways. Yeah. And like, it's a little bit edgier. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. I like it for that those reasons of, like, it's a fun take on this, like, classic, um, but it isn't necessarily, like, the end-all discussion on, like, what a Scooby-Doo series should look like.
1: Yeah. It's, it's honestly really impressive, and I think the biggest contribution that they made is that they actually gave Matthew Lillard the role of Shaggy in Mystery Incorporated which if you don't know who Matthew Lillard is, you know him. You just don't know that you know him. <laughs> uh, in the Scooby-Doo movies, the live action ones, the guy who plays Shaggy plays Shaggy in the show. And obviously he became the most well-performed Shaggy in the entirety of the franchise. So, And
2: that's something that I find really cool about all of the Scooby-Doo franchise is that the voice actors and in this case, actors come back so often to reprise their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see that with like the original people who like from the first series on, they were like, yeah, I'll come back for the next series. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the original guy who was doing like Shaggy, Fred and Scooby, like he was doing like three of them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he stuck around for all of them up until I think he died. Oh wow! I I don't I might be wrong on that, but he he was around for so long, mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember if I got the right um, <laughs> once I think maybe he originally only started as like Fred, and then he took on Shaggy and Scooby when that original guy died. I don't know, but it's such an interesting story there how you don't see that a lot where they're just there's so much consistency like they really care Mm -hmm. um and then like you said with the actor he uh voiced in a completely different thing yeah just again consistency like you can tell they really care and even just like interactions with fans too Mm
1: -hmm. and it gets even more impressive when it comes to how the characters interact and how far the original actors go and what they pull off. Cause we're getting close to the most impressive of the shows. I think next up, we have to go over the road bump though. Be cool. Scooby doo, <laughs> uh, released on Cartoon Network and boomerang in 2015 to 2018. It was released and it had 52 episodes and it's, it sucks. It's just, it's not good. I, I've looked at the animation style. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. It, it lost its identity. Hardcore.
2: Like every other scooby do. Yeah. Like once a generation, it's there's just... not going to be
1: the best Scooby. Exactly. It's like, it, it, you'll get the greatest shows of all time, but you have to deal with the crap first.
2: <laughs> Equivalent exchange.
1: And you know what? Maybe maybe somehow it is really good and we're just, we're just not giving it a chance. But... I don't think that that's the case because the show that came after that got way more popular and it you want to know why it did it's because they literally just copied the first show like the animation style is an updated modern version of the original art style so it's the exact same format but it has updated flash animation instead of hand drawn mm-hmm. but it looks the exact same so it looks like if you just remastered the original stuff it looks like that it has 52 episodes so far, and it's still going, which is the most episodes that any of the show has ever had in its franchise. It's gone from 2019 to now. And you want to know what Scooby-Doo Guess Who is all about? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just, it's like the new Scooby-Doo movies. They based it off of the new Scooby-Doo movies back in the 1970s, where every episode, there's a guest star. So to name the characters that they've had on so far... For this show, which, by the way, the guy who voices um, Scooby-Doo and Fred it, it back in the 1960s with the first show, he's back. He's playing as Fred and Scooby. Uh. Matthew Lillard came back as Shaggy. <laughs> and then we have two new actors that play Daphne and Velma. But the, 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 the characters that they brought on for guest speakers, we have Alton Brown, the legendary chef. We've got Steve Buscemi, the famous actor. We've got Jeff Dunham, a famous comedian. we got Morgan friggin Freeman. <laughs> we got Jim Gaffigan, one of my personal favorite comedians. we got Ricky Gervais. We've got Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, Halsey. Mark Hamill. Macklemore. Malcolm McDowell, somehow. Bill Nye. Chris Paul. Penn and Teller. See ya. Dear lord. Um... <laughs> uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and then the funniest one of all of them, Weird Al Yankovic, appeared on the show
2: as well. That's <coughs> super fun. Yeah, I remember. This is a classic one. Um, like they had the Harlem Globe Trotters for a yep. random one. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they pull in so many random people, but it works. Yeah, which is so entertaining. Hmm. Um, and like did yeah. you know the,
1: Did you know the Scooby-Doo Is like canon in the DC universe
2: Yeah Yeah Cause Batman
1: Batman pops up A whole bunch of other heroes Pop up specifically From the DC universe
2: Yeah Like <laughs> Batman amazing. has shown up So many times I think Like there's an episode Where they fight Penguin
1: mm-hmm. And yep. it's so cool Both Penguin and Joker yeah at the same time that was a classic one I think that was yeah. from the new Scooby-Doo movies actually yeah so and yes. it's really
2: fun <laughs> and there's
1: actually like there's a lot of different like internet memes that have been made about that episode it's so funny
2: but Scooby-Doo's a hero
1: <laughs> he is he's, he's the greatest of us all so now that we've gone through how many shows this friggin franchise has had so, <laughs> so many so many that's not even counting like the films which so there's 36 movies that Scooby-Doo has done Thirty freaking six! Like the most recent one was in 2021, where Scooby-Doo meets Courage the Cowardly Dog, huh? Which I want to see. That's <laughs> awesome. I didn't even know they did that.
2: That is kind of fun.
1: They also have like some really fun uh, callbacks. Like uh, in 2019, they actually went after the Thirteenth Ghost because in the Thirteen Ghosts, they didn't catch the Thirteenth Ghost. They they couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, in uh, 2021, they have the score, the sword, and the Scoob which is probably the sword in the stone. Yeah. Uh, and then there's in 2019 again, they actually had returned to zombie Island. Yeah. So like they've done a lot of really good stuff. And actually the one that I really want to watch, like really, really bad uh, is the 20, what is it? 2016 release Scooby-Doo and the WWE. <laughs> it was beautiful. John Cena yeah. appears out of nowhere and punches a boulder to bits. <laughs>
2: There's also, like, the live-action movies as well that we haven't really touched on.
1: Oh, yeah, the live-action movies were insane, and that actually ties into the first person that I wanted to talk about when it comes to the behind-the-scenes of these things, Joseph Barbara, which you know is the first half, even though he's the second name on the company of <laughs> Hannah barbera which is the, the company that animates currently to this day. They still animate Scooby-Doo. Uh, and they're famous for a ton of other shows like uh, like The Flintstones, the Jetsons, uh, Huckleberry, Yogi Bear, Tom and Jerry, Tom and Jerry again, they've done a lot of Tom and Jerry. Johnny Tom Quest and great. yeah, they don't they did Johnny Quest as well. basically Hannah Barbara, if you were an, if you were watching ABC at the time that they were in their prime, you were watching something from Hannah Barbara. Yeah, and now it's all boomerang. but Hannah Barbara was super popular and Joseph Barbara. Uh, he was the one that came up with the idea of this scooby-doo thing like he was just like that We should make this whole cast of characters that go and solve mysteries. How can we pull this off? How can we do it effectively and make it fun to watch and so they came up with the idea of a talking dog. They came up with the idea of these teenagers that are just going out and solving mysteries, and the, you get the kids involved and all of that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was mildly successful. It was only, it was, it didn't last long. They
2: but... also pulled inspiration from like horror films.
1: Yeah, and they had to dumb it down.
2: <laughs> yeah, they had to like make it less scary.
1: Yeah, <laughs> which is like, part
2: of why is... Scooby became such a prevalent character.
1: This is a bit much, guys. Oh,
2: just add a talking dog, kiddo kids will love that it worked yeah (laughs) (laughs) not scary anymore
1: it is just hilarious Uh, but Joseph Barbara uh, fun fact he actually was with Scooby-Doo all the way until Scooby-Doo 2 like he he directed the live-action films he directed Scooby-Doo 1 and Scooby-Doo 2 um, which I bet I I just I guess that he decided that Scooby-Doo 2 was his magnum opus and he couldn't top it so he just let himself pass um, because he lived a stupid long time. Like, Joseph Barbara was born in 1932. Um, and he was just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to survive this long just so I, I can will work on live Scooby.
2: for Scooby Doo. Man. What a life.
1: That's, that's quite a life, i am got to tell you. Wait, no, I'm wrong. No, no, no. 1911. He was born in 1911.
2: Even more impressive.
1: Even more impressive. He really was just running off of Scooby Doo. <laughs> he almost lived to be 100 years old
2: hundred years of Scooby-Doo.
1: If he had lived five more years, he would have survived a hundred years of Scooby-Doo.
2: Well, well, he wasn't born with Scooby-Doo. But he
1: was really close because that, that, that's the thing. He started Scooby-Doo in 1932. Yeah. He started production on the idea. Um, so the other half of the coin, though, was William Hanna, which Hanna was the one that came up with the idea of Tom and Jerry. Uh, he got into television really early on in his life, uh, like pretty early on, actually a little bit earlier than Barbara because he was born in 1910 and he he started in 1930. Like his first show was Tom and Jerry and he kind of just worked his way up from there, which since he worked on Tom and Jerry, it's not at all surprising to me that the slapstick comedy in Scooby-Doo was so good. The
2: endless hallways.
1: Yeah, because like Tom and Jerry was it's in, it's imp- it's just incredible how much content they've gotten out of the idea of a cat chasing a mouse. True. Like it's ridiculous and the most impressive thing it's fun to watch. Like it's not it, I think it's just because of the idea that they're following of music mixing with action.
2: Yeah. Um when I was in China in 2018 they had Tom and Jerry playing in the like public transport. Yeah, like so, it's even popular on an international level.
1: <laughs> the The continuation of the people that were behind it, though, we had some we had some really good people on the original. What's like the original Scooby Doo mystery? No wait, uh, Scooby Doo, where are you? Mm-hmm. We had Bill Lutz, the writer, and he his most recent work. He stopped doing things like 1999. He he did uh, he did the new Adams Family. But he's a genius. Like, he's r- written so many shows related to Hanna-Barbera. And I think it's it was the writing that really helped solidify what Scooby-Doo was. Because mm-hmm. we were still getting character development and we were still getting really fun things like, Hey gang, let's go to the malt shop. After we've just uncovered that this bank teller was this ghost with a hollow projector and <laughs> and all these really fancy gizmos and gadgets. Why does every villain that they fight, why are they all Tony Stark?
2: because capitalism is the real enemy
1: apparently (laughs) (laughs) except for like those episodes where we got like the old lady that just wants the kids to get off their property those were underwhelming
2: (laughs) because generally generational anger is also the real enemy. That's facts.
1: That's facts.
2: <laughs> capitalism.
1: Man. Capitalism and general generational anger. I feel like this is the same thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Scooby too. <laughs> really breaking it down. Scooby's
1: just really getting real with it, ain't it? <laughs> um now speaking of the music that we were talking about earlier, the most I think the most important aspect of the entirety of the production was Ted Nichols. Because he was composer for for a while with Hanna Barbera before mm-hmm. Scooby Doo came out. Because he did the Flintstones, which who doesn't remember the Flintstones theme? He did the Jetsons. Unless they don't
0: watch.
1: <laughs> Man, those people don't <laughs> exist. Uh, then there's the Fantastic Four that he that he composed for, not the movie, but like the original animated series. Yeah. And his music, I I still have like a vivid memory of the melody of that intro theme where after the episode has started and the camera is starting to settle in it's like like that little melody in my head plays over and over again because it's such a nice little like oh let's get settled in we're having a good time things are just really calm there's a ghost in my attic what do I do and then music is still really really fun and upbeat for no reason. (laughs)
2: Just adds to the horror. (laughs)
1: Uh, That's another thing, though, with Scooby-Doo, is that it's so influential that it actually is still generating a lot of creativity from people that aren't even involved with Scooby-Doo. Most recent, uh, in 2020, there was actually a trailer for a show called Mystery Incorporated, not Scooby-Doo. I don't. I think that I think Scooby is in there, but he's not like anthropomorphic or talking. It's a fan-made live-action series, and it's supposed to be like a more realistic, sort of edgier mystery, incorporated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like they openly admit that Shaggy is on drugs. Daphne is like this rich girl. Velma spends her time in the library. Uh, Fred is this really cool guy.
2: Exploring the characters more.
1: Yeah, and it's it's really it looks really good. I'm I'm not gonna lie, it looks amazing, but we haven't gotten any updates on the production of it in a long time, and it makes me sad because I really wanted to watch it. Uh huh. (laughs) But because it's a fan production, you know, they're not getting consistent income, so they have to figure it out over time.
2: And I think also another thing for how influential it's been is also in the realm of animation Mm -hmm. Um, just because they've consistently been animating something to do with Scooby-Doo for so long that they've kept up with learning new techniques and Mm -hmm. stuff for a while and I think that's influenced the industry a lot a ton um, and people kind of poke fun, especially at the older series where it's like, huh, I wonder what the, uh, gang is supposed to interact with when there's mm-hmm. one specific book that's brighter than everything else in the scene.
0: Yeah.
1: And like, that was, that was really impressive for the time. Cause like what they were doing back in those times, you had to animate on top of a background. So you would get like an oil painted background And then put a little film on top of it that has the animation that you've designed and drawn. And, you know, you can't make an oil painting move. (laughs) So they would have to pick an item in that oil painting that the gang would interact with and then paint on top of it using the film. And then you're like, huh. I feel like they're going to pick up that bright blue book amongst us. I don't know why, though.
2: (laughs) I mean, it's not like it stands out.
1: Exactly, and it works out so well. And, like, with Hanna-Barbera, that was the thing, is, like, they revolutionized. Like, while Disney was doing their thing and revolutionizing how animated film would work, they really did a good job of actualizing how animated shows would work. Yeah, now
2: they're writing programs for hair and stuff.
1: Yeah, so, like, they were starting to develop techniques that would be utilized by tons of other companies. Like, I think the most famous one is the looping background that even Disney borrowed from mm-hmm. and Looney Tunes. So, like the looping background, I'm pretty sure did start with Scooby Doo, and it was it was basically just an easy way to make it look like your characters are going very far and very fast without making it super obvious that they're not actually moving. Yeah. Um, it didn't look absolutely correct, but. Um, actually, no, I don't think it started with Scooby-Doo. I it, I think it started with Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry would have started that first. Yeah, but
2: Hannah Barbara.
1: Hannah Barbara, they would just design that trick from the very beginning. They figured that out really well, and it looks so smooth in motion. Ultimately, I, I want to see more of that creativity coming out of Hanna Barbara because they haven't done anything that's like revolutionary in a long time. And... I think they need to do that again.
2: Yeah, and we expect great things for them, from them. Of course do. They came we up do. with Scooby-Doo.
1: Yeah, they came up with Scooby-Doo. They came up with uh, the Jetsons. When are we are going to get a new Jetsons? We should get another Jetsons. Yeah. Now that we've gone through the shows, we've gone through the people that have really like uh, contributed a ton to its production and what really influenced the landscape of animation, we want to go into the meanings that Scooby-Doo can hold. Because Scooby-Doo, believe it or not, is actually a really deep show. Because we have two different meanings that we want to pull from this,
2: like we kind of brought up, I grew up watching Scooby Doo. (laughs) It was one of the shows that I was really like, I don't know, just drawn to as a kid. Uh, Where like I can remember, like we had a VHS player that I knew how to operate, and almost all of my VHS tapes were Scooby Doo. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I think I maybe had, like, a couple other random things, but it was basically all Scooby-Doo. And I, like, knew how to run my Scooby-Doo shows. And (laughs) (laughs) that was, like, peak Cheyenne knowledge of technology as a five-year-old. And it was a little bit weird when I got to school because Mm -hmm. I went to a private Christian school. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the kids weren't allowed to watch Scooby-Doo and several of the other shows um, that I was allowed to watch, um, which I get, especially now as I'm older and I'm like, wow, they're letting their kid watch that. And I think part of that is you would need to make wise decisions. Yeah. Like some kids, like, yeah, they can't handle the monsters, ghosts things. And, you know, you have to have to discernment with all, all types of media that you're interacting with. But for me, I think one of the, like, big life lessons that's, like, maybe potentially too deep for a kid's cartoon mm-hmm. um, is that Scooby-Doo teaches us that monsters aren't real and like they're not something to be scared of and that honestly like sin nature is the thing that we should be worrying about we kind of touched on how there's that like dynamic in a lot of the shows where sometimes the monsters are real yeah that's usually because of something that a human did they're interacting with some sort of machine they're um summoning something from the supernatural realm they're doing something nefarious yep. and that's what's causing there to be something supernatural involved the majority of the time with Scooby-Doo though it, it's someone wearing a mask it's something that's not real and there's something like there's a mystery to be solved And the fact that there's a human under there, I think it's just, it points to the fact that like, we kind of were joking about it, like capitalism or like generational angst. (laughs) Um, But we see that so much where like, people have real issues in their lives that cause them to sin. Gang, they solve those mysteries. Like they bring those to light. And I think Scooby-Doo just teaches us a lot about how all of us have that potential. Like there's times where it's like, I did not expect it to be the maid. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's always the maid, Um, that's the stereotype. And even in the case where it is pointing to the supernatural, like it teaches us to want to learn more. It teaches us to question things, but not in a, oh, it doesn't exist. Yeah. It teaches us to want to learn more. And I think that's like a really good position to take. Yeah. Um, and so like, those are kind of my thoughts. You can jump in on that, Austin. I know I was just talking for a while there.
1: I mean, it's fine. Uh, I think that's a good way to tie into the second, uh, second message that we wanted to convey as well. Um, because we're finding this message going into a show that isn't necessarily Christian. It doesn't mention God's name or anything relating to Christianity, but it has an important message. It's not bad, nor is it good. It's in between. That ties in really well with Paul with Paul's writings on conviction, by the way.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and I think those same messages on conviction tie in really well with the fact that What you said earlier about knowing what your kid likes, knowing what your kid is okay with seeing, know what you should be showing your kid, that can mean a lot of things. Like, when I was a kid, I would have been able to watch more than VeggieTales and Scooby-Doo and all that. I could have enjoyed SpongeBob, maybe. I didn't really like it as a kid. I thought it was really dumb. Yeah. But, like, I wasn't allowed to watch Power Rangers, let's say, Uh, because my mom thought it was stupid. She didn't... There was no other reason. She just thought it was stupid she didn't want me to watch it. And I respect that. But that's the important thing. A parent has to make the decision on behalf of the child because the child is not capable of making decisions for themselves yet. They don't know the world. They don't know themselves. So with kids TV, it should be noted that there is such a thing as stupid. I think that there are shows that are absolutely just dumb for the sake of being dumb and SpongeBob is one of those shows. It was more intelligent whenever it was starting out, but now it's straight up just inane humor. Mm -hmm. Um, Beavis and Butthead, which was just two dudes laughing at uh, genitalia jokes. (laughs) Really dumb. What, What needs to be taken away from this is that there is such a thing as true... It bad in a there,
2: is bad, there TV. is
1: bad TV and in no way are we saying in this series that you should go and consume every piece of media that you can because there's a gospel message in there or some characteristic of God sure if you were to go and look at like pornographic content you'd probably find the characteristic of God in there that was the same one that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah but you're not going to get anything that's truly edifying like what we're trying to do here Yeah, You need to find the content that, while not necessarily mentioning God, can open up the doors for a conversation about God. So my recommendations, for instance, if we were going to go into what shows would be really good to show kids when they're growing up that gives them an opportunity to not only think more critically on things, but also potentially learn something about God by using that as a bridge to talk about it. Gravity Falls. (laughs) Gravity Falls is a fantastic show talking about the power of spirituality and the dangers of rituals and going into the importance of family, uh, claiming that family isn't blood. There's a lot of important messages that are found in that kind of a show. And then there's also the things that are just straight up harmless. Like if you were to show your child something like Star Wars Rebels, it's just a show about a band of rebels And a Jedi going Mm -hmm. and fighting the Empire. It's all that it is. There's nothing being learned, but there's nothing being damaged either. It's just a fun
0: show.
2: But then in those cases, it also, you'd have to have discernment because maybe your kid is more prone to violence. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be aware of stuff like that. Like maybe I don't want to show them a show about War and violence. Yeah, because they're going to emulate what they're watching.
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: what we've often seen and experienced is that oftentimes kids don't watch a lot of kids shows. Like I grew up watching a show called Dog Fights on History Channel, which was just talking about the greatest dogfight battles from various wars in history. You grew up on Meerkat Manor.
2: <laughs> I loved animal documentaries. <laughs> I still do.
1: <laughs> so th- that's the thing. Like, it's easy to assume that a kid is just going to want to watch a bunch of shapes flying around with really nice music. But not every kid does. Yeah. Taking time to understand what your child likes, what it, what they enjoy, and then working with that, like, maybe sit down and watch the show with them, see how they react. yeah. Watch the shows first before you show it to them so that you know that there's not going to be anything that could potentially get ingrained into your child's mind that you don't want to be there. Those are the kind of things that I think we could be taking away from this series.
2: Yeah, it's kind of along the same lines. Like people always use the example of Harry Potter. Yeah. Where, you know, some people are like, oh, we can't, you know, consume Harry Potter because it has witchcraft in it. But Mm -hmm. there's also so many good life lessons in Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that's a thing that just takes discernment. And it's going to depend on the situation because some people, maybe they do come from a background where talking about the cults type of stuff uh, would affect their faith. It would make them stumble Mm-hmm. and so even though like it might seem kind of harmless to one person to talk about spells and all of that type of stuff like to another person like that would be extremely detrimental and it would just make them struggle and so mm-hmm. you need to know like where you are at and with a kid show where you're taking care of another person know where they are at mm-hmm. um And acknowledge that, like, even if it's not centered on God, God is creative. (laughs) Yeah. And he gave us the ability to create. And so even if it was not made like about God, the very act of creating Mm -hmm. reflects God because he's the one who creates things. And again, that means... That doesn't mean like everything that's created is like going to like 100% have a clear line back to the gospel. But if you look, most of the time, like stories are going to have some sort of like little grain of truth in them where you're like, oh, actually, yeah, I can see God in that. And it's actually a really fun challenge with certain things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to learn.
1: (laughs) And, And especially true because with modern media, people like to assume that because it's not a book, because it's not a journal, because it's nothing that you would typically see as educational, they'll assume that it's not going to be educational. When, like we've been saying, there's a lot of ways that you can take these modern forms of media and tie it into a gospel message or teach someone, even your child or someone you know about something in the faith by using that as a reference. So that's our point in this, is that there's historical lessons that can be taught. There's gospel messages that can be taught. Utilize the content that God has allowed to be created.
2: Yeah. And there's so many instances where maybe you won't be able to have a conversation directly about the Bible with someone, but maybe you'll be able to talk to them about Scooby-Doo.
0: Exactly
1: because nothing that it isn't inherently wrong if it's something that's not inherently evil inherently acting out on this idea of sin like trying to pull you into a lifestyle of sin have fun with it because there are things that are inherently evil Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that's inherently good aside from god so, play around with the things that are in that little gray area that you can have fun in that God has allowed you to enjoy because yeah, it's...
2: and use that those things that are like, you know, in the gray area to point back to God. hmm
1: And simply enough, be aware of your convictions. Yeah. If someone else does not enjoy the content that you are consuming, but you don't see a problem in it, just don't watch it around them. Don't consume it in front of them. You don't want to put someone else through a struggle that they don't want to experience. Likewise goes for yourself. If you see someone else consuming stuff that you don't really enjoy, but they're not doing it in front of you, don't try to convince them otherwise. It's not going to help you or them. It's not going to change either of your perspectives because you see things one way while they see another thing. It's just spiritual conviction.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you do think that it's a serious issue, it might be worth having a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. But if they're like yeah I don't feel convicted about it and like there's nothing like wrong in the show Um, it might be one of those situations where like you just feel more convicted about it than they do
1: Mm-hmm. and that's probably one of the best parts about having these conversations with fellow Christians and fellow believers because you both understand the basis that you're coming from and you both know what conversation you're trying to have you're trying to prove or disprove that something could be bad for you. And even if it proves that nothing is really being done that's wrong, it's good to have that gateway
2: to those conversations. Yeah, like just have conversations with love about Mm -hmm. the media that everyone consumes because I think that's a mistake that a lot of us make when we're talking about Scooby-Doo or talking about Harry Potter. like Mm -hmm. People get really aggressive and it's just like, I was just trying (laughs) to talk about Scooby-Doo and now we're having a really in-depth conversation about like spirituality and I don't Mm -hmm. know exactly how we got here
1: yeah it's like just simply asking a a question instead of getting upset like asking what do you see in Eminem that's edifying what is it that like how is God speaking to you through this music in a way that's not attacking but straight up just be curious
2: Yeah, take a uh, position of humility and a position of like wanting to learn before taking a position of I need to convict exactly Um, And I think that's a thing that a lot of us need to practice because I know there's times where I'm like, oh, wow, okay then. Um, When people are talking about some things and I'm like, Mm hmm. And I think it's just really easy to do that.
1: Yeah. We've gone pretty deep into these things this time around, but this show will only get a little bit more deeper every time we move forward. So we thank you very much for enjoying our show. We thank you very much for thinking critically with us. Uh, if you see us around campus, feel free to talk to us about these things. We do love these conversations. If you're not on campus, but you still want to interact with us, we do have a Google form that you can go and fill out to ask us questions or request stuff for us to look at, and we will see how we can apply it. We love these conversations, and we love having them simply because we already have these qu- these conversations every day, but now we get to do it in front of a microphone and discuss these things with an audience. All right, so next week we're going to be going into something that's a little bit... Uh, let's say questionable, there's a lot of people that have been saying that there's absolutely nothing good left in this field whatsoever. Music videos, simply (laughs) content released on the internet, most likely, and on MTV formally, where you would have certain bits of content that appear in a music video format. We'll go into the history, we'll go through all of those things, and Hopefully we can see if we can dive a little bit deeper and see if we can still find God in modern music videos. Anyway, we will see you next week. We thank you for listening to Collateral Creatives and have a good rest of your day.
0: Bye.